fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F Triple G B T. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is great to be here. And I love it when you, you know, you hit that sweet spot for me of historically accurate 1800s anything. Because we all know I love the 1800s. Um, yep. I'm not sure I love dying frozen in a ship, but I right. do love the 1800s. <laughs> I mean, that is a very small spectrum, Denon, but I like to hit it when I can. I think we nailed it with steampunk. We're going to see a little bit of that in this episode. Uh, but someone we're going to see a lot of in this episode is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? This week, I've traveled to King William Island. Just offshore here are the resting places of the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror, two vessels that were lost attempting to chart the Northwest Passage. It's hard to imagine what horrors they experienced trapped here in the perpetual cold. Well, that doesn't exactly sound like a winter wonderland, Ben. You're not painting a very nice picture, but this is our holiday episode. Uh, there is snow. There is ice. Christmas has both, right? I think we can agree to that. Yeah. And... You know, we're talking about two ships that were stuck in ice. They had a very limited amount of food. They maybe had a couple months worth of food that they had to last for three years. Similar to the Hanukkah story, uh, making oil last a couple extra days. So I'm going to stretch this into it covers everything. There were lots of wooden poles. Festivus is right around the corner as well. So I think we've covered a lot here. I don't know that I'm stretching. I think you can agree with that, Dennis. Well, I do like how you're calling mass wooden poles. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how the average sailor would feel about that. Um, they but, are, but though. I, but they are. They are definitely wooden poles. It is an accurate description. So I think, I think we can go with that, Dan. Uh, I'm with you. I also want to say they were not that unprepared. They did bring years of rations with them. <laughs> okay. I, I guess so. But some of them went bad. So they that had that is definitely they, a problem. But they, yeah. they, were, they, were, they were not unaware that they could be there for years. Okay, all right. Well, I'm still trying to make this fit Hanukkah, and all of our Jewish <laughs> listeners are going to appreciate my attempts, I think. Uh, but, you know, we're this is the TV show The Terror, which kind of got me thinking here, guys. You know, I, I like to think of apocalyptic scenarios. Denon, you like to deny them. But I think we could all agree if the three of us were stuck on a ship that was trying to go through the Arctic and we saw the ocean slowly freezing in around us, locking our ships in place. That would be an impending terror creeping down upon us. That would be really scary. It, it would truly be scary, Dan. I, it would, I think my first thought would be, why did we ever agree to this? Um, being the experts <laughs> that we are, you know. Yeah, right. Um, you know, they're, 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 you know, it's one of those interesting things. I, I, I always find terror and awe are mm -hmm. very close to each other, right? I sure. mean, there's an awesomeness to this as well. I will tell you, watching from the safety of my living room, um, there, there's an impressiveness to nature and winter mm -hmm. and ice that you get from this that I agree, yeah. if I'm in the moment, um, goes from awe to terror pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can at least understand why they wanted to make this journey. One is the glory of it, of course, getting to right. the other side of the world quicker. But also, I can appreciate. I mean, commercially, a Northwest Passage would be a very valuable chart uh, mm -hmm. route to have available. So, if if they could have found a safe, even, potentially even year-round route through the Arctic, that would have been a huge boon to the British uh, British Empire. Well, they make a couple of mistakes here. This is not dissimilar to the Donner Party story, which I did a whole Fascinating Nouns episode. I'm starting early with the presents here, guys. <laughs> An early shameless plug. Fascinating Nouns on the Donner Party, which is similar. And I, I, this is what kind of scared me, guys. This wasn't, this wasn't impending to terror right in front of you. This was psychological terror. Because in this show, they're really trying to push their way through this journey and find it before the ice freezes in. Their goal is not to get mm -hmm. locked in the ice. Their goal is to outrun the ice, which yes. it should have been the HMS uh, Hubris, I think, would probably be a better <laughs> name for it. But we see it a lot, right? I'm the kind of guy who, when I go to the grocery store, I want to make sure that when I'm bringing it all in, I take one trip. I don't want to make a second trip. And I'll do anything that I can to overburden myself on the way up. That's on the small scale. 
really both the Donner Party and this are doing the same thing. It's this need to push through. We can get through it. Just got to push a little bit harder. We don't want to risk setting up shop and then having to go back and forth and wasting a bunch of time and then changing your whole life and paradigm if you can just get through it. But the problem is you can't. I should know it. They should know it. And Denon, I know you know it. Well, you know, Dan, it does go to show um, the opposite sides were on in this. I was very aligned with the captain whose comment was, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're 200 feet or 2,000 miles away. If you're not through, you're not through and you're dead. Um, and, <laughs> right. and as as the ice, you know, as it became clear they had a wounded ship, I am definitely the guy going back and trying again later. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there is no doubt ab- about that um, in my mind. I was sitting there in episode one, going, "Well, this show's over. Um, we're just going to turn around. Like, what? What's what's the <laughs> issue here?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't have that same thing. Ben, are you on my side here? What are you doing in this situation? I mean, I, I feel like I mean their ship is damaged. I mean, turning. I think either way they were in trouble. Like, if they turned around, would they have gone out either? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, King William Island is not very near open water by any stretch of the imagination. I can't imagine they would have been okay going back either. Uh, so, I, I mean, I can appreciate the idea of overwintering uh, because that's their only option at that point. I mean, I think the British did coin the term in for a penny, in for a pound, which kind of plays, uh, you know, you're in it. You're, you've already started it. You got to get through it. Um, then, and I'm not saying your approach isn't the best, but... Human nature is probably on the side with me, and human history is also riddled with lots of failures and cannibalism, uh, like <laughs> probably happened in the story of Franklin's Lost Expedition, which is what this is really about. But, you know, things don't go well. You know, we've, we've already established that. They get locked in the ice. Their ships are completely stationary. Uh, you know, like a stapler in Jell-O, they are, they're in the part of the mold. They're part of the situation. A stapler in Jell-O? <laughs> Yeah, haven't you ever seen that where you, as a prank, you like, you know, take a bunch of jello and you stick a stapler in it? I had someone do that to me once. No? Interesting, Nobody? Dan. Uh, I learned something new every episode. How about, I'm how about, sorry to interrupt your flow, but that just that one just hit me. I'm like, whoa. No, that's that's okay. And flow is a great term because you know I have the the verbal flow here, but they're also stuck in an ice flow, uh, which is part of the problem. And on that ice flow, they've got to survive, guys. Survival in the win- in in an Arctic condition is very difficult because you know we live in a desert. It's different. It's very hot. There's not a lot of water, but things have learned to survive there with what little there is in the Arctic in the tundra. Uh, when it's freezing permafrost, there's an overabundance of water. Most of it you can't drink, but very <laughs> little life, which is like an equal and opposite. It's like the yin and the yang. Both, both environments are very difficult to live in, but I think this one is even more harsh than a desert. You know, it's interesting. I, I do agree with you, Dan. I, I tend to believe that this is the harder one. Um, it is shocking that there still is life and some functioning there. Um, you know, we, we've got, particularly around the fringes, right? You've got the polar bears, you've got the seals, and you've got um, the Inuits who have managed to you know, make a life there. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's at all um, friendly to the British. Um, they're, they're certainly not, not designed for this life. Um, and it's definitely, it, it, to me, it's it's not nearly as obvious in some ways. Like in the desert, when you get that pocket of water, it's obvious. You can see where the oasis is. You can see where the plant is, right? There, there's signs. I, I, I feel like in the Arctic, if you're not an expert, a true, true, like major, major expert, you really are dead. Whereas in the desert, you just probably have to be good at survival. I mean, I know okay. I'm, I'm making up random categories here. Totally that, yanking it out of your old keister there. But but I really <laughs> feel there's a level of that. I mean, I'm agreeing right. with you and, and p- putting some numbers on it. Putting <laughs> don't some make numbers funny on it. it. <laughs> don't make funny yeah. when I'm, you're agreeing with me. All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I can't think really which one is more hostile. Because, I mean... At, in in the Arctic, you, there is rain at least, so you have water, um, so, so or and snow, so there is there is something to drink, but not much to eat. I mean, in a way, I'd think the desert's worse because there's no water and there's not anything to eat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, a problem. And and heat stroke is trickier. You know, if you have enough blankets and stuff, you can at least not freeze to death in the Arctic, but it's. You know, you can only do so much to escape the heat in the desert. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. Now, I will say that there's this situation is kind of unique because 
they do have shelter, right? I mean, part of the trick of living in that type of, in, in the cold environment is getting out of the wind, getting out of the environment and, you know, at least preserving some heat, whether it's body heat or you're, you know, cooking seal fat or whatever it is, a whale fat, uh, some sort of, some kind of, they have that in this. We've got a ship, we got coal for heat there. They've got a steam powered engine and you do have ice around you. I'm not sure how potable it would be. Um, Probably it's sure it's probably got a lot of salt in it, but it's there, and there are ways to extract usable water out of that. So they're not completely destitute. I think it's the knowledge. Do they have the knowledge to be able to utilize their advantages there and hunker down for the winter? I think this is something that's really revealed in the earlier episodes, Dan, where they mentioned that only a few of them have actually been on Arctic expeditions before. Right. So you do have a little bit of knowledge in the group because a couple mm. of them have done it. But I feel like they're mostly inexperienced. That's the sense I, I get. Um, and that can be problematic. Right. You, you, and, and I have to admit, I did a little research for this episode, Dan. I know that's going to shock you. Don't, you know, have a heart attack here. Um, and, and I realized and I learned how like poorly built British clothing was for the cold. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like. And, and and that is an issue, right? Mm-hmm. You you you've got the ship, you've got the heating sources, um, but you're not necessarily winterized um, for exploring. Um, and I do think the strategy here has to be to hunker down, and right. and 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 that's your only choice. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the ice and the snow. I mean, the, the ice over the ocean is most likely sea ice. It's frozen salt water and is not drinkable. But there is. You know, there is on average, you know, a few feet of snow in that region on a yearly basis. So it's certainly possible that they could gather snow and melt it for water. So I think, you know, that that part of the problem is not insurmountable. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, you're it's it's very valuable that they have these ships because those ships, you know, they have thick wood holes. They're going to retain a lot of that heat and keep them reasonably warm through the through the cold. I bet they're drafty like an old house, but I think they may be good enough for the situation. I think you, you're happy you have it, right? Oh, for well, sure. <laughs> they're at least seaworthy, so they're not yeah. probably quite as drafty as the old house. Maybe. Um, you can't sell but, that but house are, on the seven seas, I guess. Yeah, but they are. Right. I, I'm sure they're not like, you know, weatherproof, like a good New England home that I grew up in. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the ice is interesting because it is both your friend and your enemy. As we see, you know, they learned the hard way. I think this happened before the Titanic, but we know what happened there. No spoilers uh, on that movie or uh, the actual event. But icebergs are can be dangerous, especially when you don't respect them. And there's ice everywhere. And the ice is getting bigger and it's getting connected. It's there's all the ice pieces are slowly connecting with each other. And we see a part, you guys mentioned that the ships uh, kind of get taken out. A big chunk of ice gets caught in the propeller. This wasn't a rowboat. You couldn't swim out of there. They do have sails, but that propeller is kind of the key. This is very damaging both to them and to their forward progress at a time when forward progress is key to getting out of this situation. <laughs> I totally agree, Dan. And, and you know, there's there's the damage to the forward progress. There's the mm-hmm. damage to that. But you mentioned ice is also damaging just in terms of um, the way it freezes around the ship, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Ice can generate shockingly large forces, um, and we forget that ice is actually expanding relative to water. Like ice right. is is lower density, so it's taking up more space. Um, there is real serious risk of, I think, extreme damage to the ships. And the one the one captain points out that once you're stuck in the ice, you're moving with it. The ice moves. Right. And the ice could move differentially. And you could get some really major shear forces um, on that ship and, and, and actually have it rip apart, I fear. Yeah. I mean, th- it's very likely that the ships would no longer be seaworthy uh, once, they, once they're free of the ice. And I mean... Obviously, the crew wasn't there when it. They finally did get free, but both ships sank. Uh, whether they sank immediately or whether they were, you know, blown into the rocks and then sank, uh, is not exactly clear because, you know, unfortunately, no one was around at the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah. It, it is strange to think about that because. When you're in the, you think of like the ocean freezing over. Like when I saw this immediately, my first thought was, oh, they're just in the ocean, 
the ocean's completely frozen over. Like I grew up, you know, like you did, and with lakes uh, that are frozen <laughs> over, you can go ice skating on. You know, it's not that that ice isn't floating around the lake; it is the lake. But yeah. here, it's very different. You are basically stuck in a gigantic, you know, hundreds of miles wide piece of ice that's moving and it's active, uh, moving around and it's getting, you know, swelling and, and receding depending on the cold. There's a lot of forces on there that I didn't think about that are completely damaging to the ship. You're exactly right. That's right, Dan. You also have to remember that they're not really in the open water where they are. They're off the shore of an island and that island is not very far from other islands. So there's a lot of uh, ice flowing through widening and narrowing gaps and channels, and the water's pr actually pretty shallow there. It's only 20, 30 meters deep. And so there's all sorts of different geological features that will cause this ice to bunch up and spread back out, and your ship's in there getting bunched up and spread back out along with the ice. Now, one thing you mentioned here, Ben, and we, we had a, a fan on our YouTube channel mention uh, that they wanted us to talk about ghost ships. So really quickly, in some ways, if these two ships are locked in the ice, and let's say everyone left uh, and went off to civilization and didn't come back to the ships and they were left floating, these would have been ghost ships that were just kind of left floating in, in the ocean. And, you know, maybe they would have ended up in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. I think that's where everything ends <laughs> up. Uh, but w tell me about that. What do you know about ghost ships and, and, and their effects on the ocean? Well, first I would say, Dan, that would be impressive for them to end up in the Pacific um, problem because that means the ships by themselves without sailors discovered the Northwest Passage. <laughs> so that would have been cool. That would have been um, cool. <laughs> would have been really cool. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting question because you, you you know ships are are designed basically to do it and and make it. Um, but without any people, I think it's you know things like storms are the real issue for these ships and how long they would be able to float around and be true ghost ships, because at least based on the movie versions of watching people, mm -hmm. it's really the people that keep the ship afloat during the storm by controlling, yeah, you know, right. what it does and everything. So I, I think storms maybe set the uh, lifespan of a ghost ship. Is that, is that a reasonable? Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of my thought there on, 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 on how long they can haunt the seas, as it were. Right. Yeah. And I again, I don't think there are too many ghost ships in the Arctic, because... Most likely, when these ships finally got out of the ice, they probably sank pretty much immediately because right, they were right. they were getting bashed around. I mean, both ships were found very close to the island um, in not great shape. So my guess is that they were crit critically damaged by the ice, and they probably floated for a little bit and then just sank where they were once the ice left. I imagine here, this is a harsh, this, it's even more harsh for a ship than it is for people in some ways. Uh, so maybe in other places, ghost ships can last a little bit longer and be kind of creepy things you encounter uh, on the high seas. But yeah, I think these would have been kind of taken care of pretty quickly uh, by <laughs> nature, you know, by nature itself. Uh, but speaking of nature, nature can unleash a fury in the form of diseases. You know, not only um, communicable diseases like tuberculosis, which we see uh, in the show, but also you know, things like scurvy where you you just have a, a deficiency in vitamins. The diets weren't that, I mean, you know, people make fun of British food now. Can you imagine what it was like <laughs> in the 1800s and when it was, you know, being packed on a ship and carted across? I did a whole, here's another package for you guys, another present. I did a whole a fascinating nouns episode on military food and how that kind of has helped uh, inspire what we currently eat now. This was the beginning of that. We see tin cans, tinned canned food on the ship. So they had some of it, but that, it's not high quality food and it's definitely not fruits and vegetables for sure. So besides constipation, Denon, there are lots of other issues here <laughs> with a bad diet that they had to fight with. Well, I do think it's one of those great things um, in this show from my perspective, mm -hmm. because, you know, I love that history of science in general and disease and medicine is just a subset of that, Dan. Right. And you mentioned scurvy. I mean, I loved as a kid discovering that somehow people figured out sucking on lemons and limes and you get, you know, we're talking nicknames and British phrases. You get the phrase limeys, right? Oh, interesting. Because, because people, the British figured out sucking on limes, you know. Um, help prevent the scur scurvy. The scurvy, the scurvy. I think, is, <laughs> as, as I said, as it's technically called. The scourge of right? scurvy, yeah. But it's it's watching, you know, and the fact that they even had the idea of doing a postmortem kind of dissection type situation to figure mm -hmm. out, 
is it scurvy? Because they'd rather have it be that, right? Because that means right. someone's not eating their lemons and limes efficiently, and it's not at least communicable. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to watch this sweet spot of medicine where, you know, you're in this transition of really learning a lot more about how diseases really work, mm-hmm. which is key to preventing their spread and, and how they how they occur. Yeah. The scary thing here is t- tuberculosis as well, because I think... I don't know if they finally realize that the one guy has it, but that on a ship like this, if you're stuck for three years, everyone's getting it. And that was a pretty deadly disease without antibacterial. So there's a lot going on here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also back to the, the scurvy thing for a second. It, it's interesting because the way the natives in that area are survive is because the seals can make the vitamin C. And right. so if you eat raw seal meat, you'll get your vitamin C needs. But if you're eating these tinned tomatoes and veal, that vitamin C is probably going to be destroyed by that canning process. And so, you know, there's something about, you know, they should have been going out and getting some seals every once in a while if they could. (laughs) I doubt they'd be eating it raw, though. I mean, these are sailors who are used to a very specific hard. They're used to hard tack. Uh, They haven't been traveling like around Japan and used to, you know, some raw food as part of a diet. This is, I think it'd be a quick, a, a cultural a culture shock for them to do that, even if they knew about it. Perhaps. Yeah, unless they ran out of fire. Yeah. yeah. Right, then by necessity. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the fire would destroy the vitamin C. So you, you have to eat it raw to get the, to make it work. And I mean, maybe they'd figure it out. You know, the Inuits are eating the seal raw and they're mm-hmm. not getting scurvy. So maybe that's, they'd figure out that's what they need to do. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb. I, I, if I was taking bets, I don't think they make that connection. They took up a while to figure out lemons and limes did the trick. <laughs> so my guess is they'd be stuck, which is tough because scurvy is so preventable if you have the right, mm-hmm. you know, the right stuff. Uh, now, lemons and limes, that, that is interesting that you only need, you only need a little bit. And I think we, we talked about this before, that humans don't make their own vitamin C. We are one of the few creatures who don't. And actually, if you just fiddled with our DNA a little bit, I think we could make it pretty easy. You know, Ben, you're, you're a bioengineer. I know you like to cook up <laughs> yeah. things in your lab. Have you been making humans that can create their own vitamin C? I'm, I mean, it would be amazing if we could. Uh, but And the reality is our ancestors could make vitamin C. But you know, humans evolved in a place in where it's warm and there's a lot of fruit. And so it's easy to, it's easy to have that mutation to make the vitamin C uh, fail or have the gene fail Mm -hmm. because you're getting so much vitamin C from your diet. And it's, it's, it's at that point, it's an advantage because your body isn't wasting energy making vitamin C that you're already getting from the environment. And so it, it's only a problem when us humans got our hubris again and decided to go to cold places where right. there's no fr- fresh fruit all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Dan, I do think as much as I love the science of the 1800s, right. I think genetically engineering themselves to make vitamin C was a bit beyond the ship doctor's um, skill set at this point. Now, we don't, so. we don't know that, but I think that's a pretty good... No, we don't know that, but it's an estimate. <laughs> it's an, yeah. it's an yeah. estimate. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also... You, you also have to wonder how much would it hurt our current fitness if we started making vitamin C again? You know, you know, you turn on that gene, who knows what else might happen? <laughs> who knows what else gets turned on? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because you just lead me up here. I did a whole episode on survival of the friendliness. And there's a very interesting <laughs> thing that happens when you start breeding. So foxes, they're breeding these foxes for friendliness, how much they liked mm-hmm. human beings. And all of a sudden, several other you know, uh, a phenotypes start changing. They, they start having, they start looking like dogs. The foxes lose their, their coat and they start becoming spotted. They start, their faces change. There's a lot of actual physical things that change in that genetic code by simply breeding for friendliness. So uh, it's a, the genetic code is very, it's mixed. You mess with one thing, you mess with a billion different things. It gets crazy, Ben. So I, I don't know how you yeah. do it. I don't know how you do it privately, but. Uh, I think their, well, ear, their ears fall privately? down too, right? They yeah, yeah, their yeah. cool pointy ears. <laughs> their, ear, their ears fall down. They turn into dogs. They, they become adorable. Yeah. They even learn how to bark. It's crazy. And yes, Denon, I said in his, I said privately in his labs. I'm not supposed to say that, but we all know it's true. <laughs> Well, you know, Dad, but there is something that's way less crazy. Yeah. Okay. There is a way out of this, mm. and that is to use your fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based mug. Oh, because on. we know it can infuse your liquid with vitamin C. Interesting. It's one of the great. 
It's one of the fascinating properties of the fascinating gadget gizmo and gear-based technology mug is its anti-scurvy properties. A little known fact, which is perfect around the holidays because there's nothing ruins a holiday party, Dan, like getting scurvy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nothing does. It's very true. You want to be able to eat eggnog, have your orange juice in the morning so you don't have to have it later in the afternoon. Well, and you exactly. also have to remember that an insulated water bottle, like this fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology oh, water beautiful. bottle, mm. uh, you know, you put your melted snow water in there, and it's going to stay melted for a while, so you can keep drinking it um, and not refreeze on you. So, you know, if you're heading out somewhere cold, bring some insulated water bottles with you. These are and these make great gifts at this holiday season. Uh, the actual holiday season, not one when you're stuck on a ship uh, spending Christmas, <laughs> you know, feeding on on your friends and relatives. Uh, this is for the, the nice holidays. Give it for, give it to someone and tell them you love them. That's that's the way to do it. Uh, another way to tell someone that you love them is to give them food. But you want to make sure that that food is safe for eating. Uh, in this show, we see, you know, we kind of hinted at it earlier, but they have tin cans. So they think they're prepared for this long winter, guys. And so they have lots of tinned food. Uh, they're ready to go. It can, you know, last for years. They're fine. One of the problems that they find out in the show, at least, whether this happened in real life is up for debate. But in the show, the solder, the, the tin solder that they use to seal the cans becomes, uh, it starts to go bad. It becomes leaky. Uh, that is a technical term. And I do believe that the <laughs> lead leaches into the food. Lead is extraordinarily toxic as it bioaccumulates in the body. And it start, people start to go crazy. Um, and and their, their gums turn black, which is, uh, it's not good to look at. It, it ruins the aesthetic of a nice smile. Wouldn't you agree, Denon? <laughs> Uh, definitely, black gums um, are are really problematic um, from lead poisoning um, from that perspective. But I, you know, it's something else that's interesting here. We talk about lead and lead poisoning. It fascinates me how late into human history we use lead. Yeah, you know, in in even to the point where. You know, my childhood was when people started thinking, oh, maybe lead in paint is a bad thing because kids sometimes chew on it. Yeah. Like we were using lead paint that late at, at the same time that I was learning in school that the Romans went crazy because of lead. Yeah. Right. So like mm -hmm. we, we, you know, when you mentioned this, Dan, it was something, you know, in, in prepping for this and you said lead poisoning. I was like, what, what is it about humans that we can't learn that lead is bad? Um, that, that's my big question that came up from this. Well, they, we took it out of gasoline as well. Kids were drinking gasoline, hopefully not out of a Gadget and Gizmos mug, but we took it out of lead for that exact reason, I, I think. Uh, so you're exactly right, then, and we got to get it out of our food, and we definitely don't want it leaching in without us knowing about it. It's also important that even today we still do use lead. Lead's a very important metal. We use it for uh, x-rays, you know, in the vests that keep you safe from the x-rays. And we still use it in solder today because it, it is a very good metal when it comes to putting electronics together. Now, we're trying to get it out of all those uh, things, but lead, is, lead does things to the tin that keeps the tin from doing bad things. And so there are some applications where you do, unfortunately, still need to use that lead. I think so. But, you know, one of the things that I think is so insidious about this particular problem is that they are in need of food. And yes. this is available food. And they're not, they don't understand the, the problems behind the, the lead the way we do now. And, you know, they're kind of in a situation where they don't have a choice. I mean, they could go out and hunt seals and polar bears, but, you know, the easier choice is to eat the food that's in the basement. Uh, so, but I think that, that in some ways is what makes this so insidious. And it's one of those things that you have to worry about in a survival situation because you are so desperate. Now, we mentioned earlier, Denon, I almost drank toilet water, forgetting that, as Ben mentioned, it's the tank, not the bowl. I would have possibly been forced to drink toilet water. Um, that's the kind of situation you can find yourself in, and that's the dangerous part. It's true, but I, I think here there's the double danger, um, Dan. Um, there's the lead, which you may or may not be aware of. And one of the interesting things I, I learned in, in, in preparing for this episode is how what a high content of lead there was in British people on average in the 1800s hmm. in their bloodstream and such, right? Like, so that's why there's some doubt as to was it really the lead poisoning, right. you know, like for the Franklin party or not, because yeah. – 
it 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 was a uh, more ubiquitous problem than we thought. Interesting. Um, so you do have the lead, but you also just have if the solder's not very good, your canning's not very good, and now the food's gone bad, and you may not know that. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. And so you just have that risk of food poisoning, you know, botulism and such. So you it, it's a kind of a double danger. But I'm totally with you. Like, I'm lazy. Like, if I have canned food, unless it really stinks, I'm going to sit in my warm <laughs> ship and eat my canned food. I'm not going to go out and try and find a seal. You know, um, yeah. are you eating, are you eating raw seal meat, by the way? Are you are you doing that? Or are you- I, 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 I can't even eat like raw sushi like that's really really prepared at fancy restaurants even the one time i went to a conference in japan right um, so i i don't know that i could eat the raw seal um i'm i'm i'm, I'm basically dead dan let's just <laughs> let's just start with that fair enough yeah at least you know and, and another thing to look at is if, if the show is correct the, the food they're eating is tomatoes and veal and tomatoes as we know are an acidic well fruit uh, you know, mm-hmm. some people will call them a vegetable, but it's a fools. Fruit. Fools call it a vegetable, Ben. <laughs> but the the important point there is it's acidic, and acid is what can cause lead to leach too, right? That, Interesting. That, yeah. That's what caused the Flint water crisis. They switched to a more acidic um, water source, which then dissolved the lead in the pipe that was already in the pipes. Um, and so, you know, you're you're putting this acidic food in a lead container. Essentially, it's going to leach that lead out of that solder and uh, into the food. Yeah, and I think the lead part is the that's the uh, the unseen danger, right? I mean, if you sniff the yeah. food, no offense, Dennett, but if you sniff the food and it's kind of off, and you eat it anyway, you're kind of making your own luck <laughs> on that. No, right? you are, you are. That's why I said, you know, maybe have your friend try it first. <laughs> I don't think you said that, uh, but you're saying it now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, give give it a shot. I mean, that's why, you know, if you're if you're king, you know, uh, you have a royal taste tester. Uh, not everyone yep. could have the, could afford that luxury, but that's why you have it. Uh, but you know, one other thing here that I want to mention: if we're going dark places, you know, the Donner Party did this, and maybe the real. Uh, Franklin Expedition may have done this. Oh, I do want to mention, I'm going to put up on the website a link to something you mentioned, Denon, was that the high level of uh, lead content was actually the the level they found in some of the preserved bodies that were still existing in the 1900s, uh, past century. Uh, they found extremely high levels that maybe it w- they didn't go crazy from lead poisoning because of the food that it was, it was too high. It, it, it couldn't just be from the tin cans. But it's a very interesting article. I'm going to put it up there. But cannibalism. Right. This is something that people turn to again, that survival situation. You're forced into this situation. Uh, This is something I don't know. You know, this is a a psychological thing, right? Because you have to go to a place that, you know, no one, this is taboo. You're not supposed to eat other human beings. You're not supposed to kill other human beings. Even if they die on their own, you're not supposed to eat them. But this is something that may have happened on the real expedition. This to me is like where. This is the extremes of the human psyche, and this is where these types of situations can put you. And that is not a situation I want to be in, because I like both of you, and as well-marbled as you may be, Denon, I don't want to turn you into a hamburger. I, I totally I totally appreciate that, Dan. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it is it is one of those things that is just almost impossible to imagine. I'm with you on that. You know, it, it's, it's a weird thing, right, where... Um, you know, you you wouldn't necessarily, you know, I, it truly makes me wonder, like, if you didn't know, mm-hmm. right, like, would you, at what point would you as like, uh, you know, say random sea person, seaman, you know, what, uh, you know, being served food suddenly realize, wait, you know, there's less people around and there was no canned food left and right. we didn't kill any seals. Right. Like, and then what would that do to you? You know, like if yeah, it's real whole, ground chuck. You say, hey, this is a burger made out of ground chuck. And you're like, oh, that's great, yeah. right? But it's actually chuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, it, this is, we've gone some dark places, Dan, yeah. but this is dark. It's pretty bad. What about you, Ben? You eating, uh, you eating ground denim or ground chuck or ground uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would hope to Le- never Are you be a leg a or a si- thigh man? <laughs> <laughs> Neither these days. Um, I, I think, uh, I think. If if the situation was that desperate, I might consider it. But you know, maybe I would take uh, Good Sir's way out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's true. Uh, what well, you know? What's interesting is there was this funny thing. I, I was on the Daily Show 
years, probably decades ago now, but there was a guy who created human flavored tofu. So for people who wanted to taste what cannibalism was like without actually having to kill somebody, it was called Hufu. Uh, I don't, I never learned if that was a joke or not, but uh, it sticks with me to this day. That's that's very funny. A safe way uh, to eat your friends uh, and neighbors, um, you know, without having to get your hands dirty. Um, but, you know, getting your hands dirty is something that these guys have to do. We mentioned that propeller uh, getting stuck with ice. There's one scene in this show that, you know, my fear of sharks, guys, and the fear <laughs> of being stuck in the ocean, in the open ocean with God knows what around you. But they have this moment where there's ice stuck in the propeller and they got to send someone down to knock it out or at least assess the damage. And they put him in one of those old style, uh, you know, metal contraptions, the old scuba gear. And they, you know, it's metal. It's not like modern scuba gear. It's just solid brass or whatever. And they stick him on a plank. And, you know, guys are holding up each side of the plank, kind of like uh, window washers, except with <laughs> rope, right? And they slowly lower him in. I don't see a hose. I don't see any safety ropes or anything. If one of them were to drop a side of that, that guy's sinking to the bottom, right? I believe metal's still more dense than water. So he's going <laughs> to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, that's like a nightmare come true. I don't know about you, Denon, but I, I don't know that I could survive in that situation mentally. Well, I, I think I, I could have until I recently discovered I have claustrophobia. So oh that might God. be a problem for me yeah. in, in the suit. Um, but I have to admit, I, I like it struck me of the human sort of capacity to brave, interesting and new things. Right. Okay. Like it's amazing where I mean, I might not go, but humans in general will go. Mm -hmm. But there was a great line in that scene, Dan. I, I, it's interesting. I don't often remember individual lines as well as I should. But as he's getting all like, you know, suited up and he's talking about, you know, one pull on the rope means this, two pull means that. <laughs> right, he that looks down, around. Right. Uh -huh. right. He looks around and goes, shouldn't there be a surgeon on deck? Like he's prepared <laughs> for like, right. I'm going to be in trouble. And when you pull me up, I want the doctor right here. Right. And the response is, oh, they're just down below. They're ready. Don't worry. And he's like, no, I want them on the, I want them up here. I want here. them here. <laughs> and they were demonstrably you know. not ready because they were operating on somebody else at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know. I or mean, they were so doing I the like, autopsy. What, yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. busy. They were busy. So I appreciated that like mental state of his is like, yeah, this could go horribly wrong and I'm going to trust an 1800s doctor. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Like, That's where you put your, that's where you put your, your faith in. Yeah. But I mean, how do you, let's just say, Okay, uh, then I don't want to terrify you here. You know, I haven't mentioned antennas, so I'm not going to trigger Ben. But I may be triggered here with claustrophobia. Let's say you're the guy, you're our scuba man. You got to go down there. And all of a sudden, my hand slipped. The water's wet. You know, water's still wet, even in the 1800s. My hand slips. And all of a sudden, you go to the bottom of the ocean. How are we fishing you out? Or are you just, you know, resigning yourself to your fate? I think at that point I'm dead. Um, okay. I've died a lot so far this episode, man, so I'm getting used to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you, you saw the one sailor who fell into the water who barely – I mean, I'm in a suit, so I'm going to last a little longer. Unfort but unfortunately I'm, I'm not, or unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not really going anywhere. I mean, I think – you know, you, you do try and um, make peace with things at that point, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Now, there, I, I feel like there could be a solution because uh -huh. I'm, I'm a problem-solving person. Uh -huh. I'm solution-oriented. You are. Yeah, there is a solution, actually, for this. I mean, I don't know if you would – how easy it would be, but the water, again, is not very deep where they were. You know, it's probably only 60, maybe 100 feet deep there. If that – I 100 would be extraordinary for that area. And so – Assuming they could still pump the air down to him um, and he doesn't like the suit doesn't break when he hits the bottom, uh -huh. you know, they could probably drop a rope to him to pull him up as long as he could stay calm and uh, hold on. Like it, it's it's not a it's not like he's falling, you know, thousands of feet into the abyss mm -hmm. um, where they were. So. You know, maybe it would have been okay. <laughs> well, Denon, you memorized a lot more lines from this show than I think you're giving yourself credit for. And one you said earlier was 200 feet or 2,000 miles. You're still stuck at the bottom of the ocean, right? I mean, so. Well, I, I do think, you know, I, I've been mine in a different way. Like, we, we are the show about pushing technology to its boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, if, if they have the ability to generate air, 
Um, I mean, I feel I felt like there was a flexible sort of undersuit here, perhaps. Okay. Right. Right. You know, so shed the metal suit, have them pump the air and blow me up and I'll float to the top. Right. And <laughs> blow you up, you mean just fill the air with air, not not yeah, drop dynamite air, down right? the not, tube and just say, I'm exactly, done. I'm, exactly. Because yeah. you, you, were, you were kind yeah. of on the edge of just giving up. So blow me <laughs> yeah. up could no, mean but, a million but, different things. But I heard Ben's voice. I heard Ben's voice say, stay calm. There are engineering yeah. solutions. And, and I, I stayed calm and, and, and I floated to the top. There's on, also yeah. a chance he would have been, you know, odds are he probably had to wear some weights to actually make him sink. So it's also possible he could have just dropped the weights and floated. Um, yeah, we don't know for we don't know for sure exactly what the situation is with that suit specifically. But, you know, generally speaking, divers have to wear weights to make them actually sink. <laughs> yeah, now because the suits are made out of, you know, neoprene or whatever. But then you had this big metal <laughs> helmet like a Yeah, but I mean, it's you're a going big down metal head helmet. first. And you, but it's you a big metal like, helmet full of air, Dan. <laughs> I guess so. But what I would what I would fear, Denon, is if you went down head first and now you're doing like a headstand on the bottom, waving your feet and you can't quite get your head up. That could be a problem too. <laughs> well, that, that could be problematic. But you yeah. know, Dan, I, I've got my cat-like reflexes. You I would rotate do. and land on my feet. <laughs> you certainly do. Uh, with, I, I have faith in you, Denon, uh, and, and I have faith that we've covered quite a bit for the terror. We went into some deep places. We really did look into our psyche. We looked into the abyss, guys, and I think the abyss looked back into us. But in case there's anything else that you wanted to talk about, this is the place to do it. This is our airs, additions, and omissions section, things we didn't quite get to that we wanted to talk about. Denon, is there anything about the terror or a personal terror that you wanted to mention that we didn't quite get to? Well, I will say it's it, uh, one thing this reminded me of. I mentioned briefly growing up in New England. I did love winter. I love the snow. And it is fascinating, the trade-offs, because um, I remember building effectively little igloos when we had our rare blizzards um, that I could actually fit in as a kid. Uh -huh. um, and it is amazing, this counter sort of intuitive thing that ice and snow is also kind of insulating, right? Mm -hmm. And And I could sit in there and be shockingly warm and it would be incredibly quiet. So there is a peacefulness to the the winter landscape. Now my house was, you know, 40 feet away and so <laughs> um, yeah. survival was not an issue yeah. and there was plenty of non-botulism lead infused <laughs> food. <Yeah>. So not <laughs> in a so. completely analogous situation, but close. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but there was there was a level of winter that mm -hmm. uh, you know, I truly truly enjoy and truly uh, appreciate. Um, the other quick thing, I, I mentioned it briefly, but I love the, this period of the 1800s as technology is moving forward. Mm -hmm. And again, since today seems to be the episode where I quote lines, you know, the captain says, these are the most technologically advanced ships ever. Um, and there is some coolness to that. I mean, right. they had their propellers, they had their steam powered, they had the diving suit. You know, it is amazing um, to think about this this transition we went through in the 1800s in technology. Um, we've done it some on the show, and I just wanted to put a little exclamation point on that for the listeners and viewers. I think that's right. I mean, all the stuff that we have today was founded by the things in, in the past. We can't forget it, Denon, and it's great for you to remind us of that. Uh, but Ben, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Well, you know, thinking about Denon's story there a little bit, you know, your house was right there, and you also, you know, you didn't have to worry about the polar bears um, in New England. <laughs> And, I hope not. Uh, you know that's the frightening thing. Now the, the 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 this this show has things worse than polar bears uh, involved. Uh, man, to, for one. Yep. Uh, but <laughs> but I just want to keep keep in mind those polar bears. That they are terrifying animals, and they would no doubt have hunted these people trapped in the ice if they if they had the chance and had found them. Uh, and so. You know, if you ever find yourself in the Arctic in the winter on the ice, uh, you know, watch out for the polar bears. They're not your friends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, that's definitely a, a, the more you know moment. Although in this day and age, I feel like if someone was in the Arctic and saw a polar bear, they would do their best to get a selfie with it for Instagram. <laughs> I, I would definitely well, caution against that. And even now, more so now, because they're far more desperate because of the lack of sea ice, mm -hmm. um, the polar bears are definitely going to come for you because they can't really get the seals anymore. 
That's very depressing, Ben. Uh, but I will also tell you that... <laughs> As if this has been an uplifting episode, Dan. I'm trying to end on a high note. Uh, well, all right, I'm going to keep going with it. I mean, polar bears are adorable and they're deadly. There are lots of animals, koala bears, raccoons, uh, pandas. Now, these are all, I would argue, some of the cutest animals in the world. They're not a sea otter quite then, but they are very, very cute. Yes. But also very deadly and extraordinarily scrappy. So steer clear is what I'm going to say. Uh, but, you know, I saw a couple of cool things in this. In the beginning of the show, we see, I believe they see a full rainbow, which is a circle. A rainbow is actually a circle. It's not just a, a you know, a semicircle. Uh, I've seen one of these one time. And it is magnificent when you finally realize that a, that a rainbow is a complete circle. I love it. It's it's um, it's really beautiful to see. And they're still wearing wigs in 1845. Now, you know, Denon, you're wearing a hat probably taken from your winters in Connecticut. Keeps you warm. But I would say a wig underneath a hat is going to keep you even warmer. So I think they did have an advantage that we're not quite giving them uh, the full uh, the full credit for. Uh, so those are those are those are my errors, additions, and omissions. But I've got a question from the audience here, guys. We've got Ooh, uh, you know mm. we've got a, a fan on YouTube. His name is DJ, and he watched our Nope episode. He had mm -hmm. a couple of questions, but I'm going to read this to you. And let me know what you think. So this is specifically about the creature that lives in the skies uh, and eats human beings, you know, much like a crewman of the HMS Terror. So, uh, Denon, you mentioned uh, that the um, – uh, hold on a second. Let me get this correct. Let me get this correct here. Uh, if the entity could muster sufficient suction so great as to drag a human into the air, the equal and opposite effect would be to draw the creature downwards at great velocity – unless it exhibited an equal degree of suction in the opposite direction. Plus, if it fed on humans on humans recently, then surely its density would be so greatly increased as to make it too dense to float, making buoyancy impossible, so to speak. These are a couple interesting questions. You know, I use a straw, so I'm familiar with the sucking action, but my head doesn't fly into uh, the glass of water that I'm drinking. But maybe, you know, on this scale, it could possibly happen. Well, it definitely needs an opposite force, and this is where I think its sort of um, parachute-like design really helps it down, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't have to be necessarily a, a sucking force. It's not that the force has to be of the same type in nature. It just has to be equal and opposite. Okay. Um, so I really think what's holding it up is its parachute shape. I do think um, the density question is important, right? It limits how many humans it can eat. But look, we've just done an episode on the terror. Um, a ship floats with lots of humans on it. Right. Right? The ship is buoyant without the humans. You stick a bunch of humans on the ship and it still floats. Right. Um, and so the design of the creature um, is critical, but, you know, a few humans doesn't necessarily make it sink. Um, and so that's important to keep in mind, right? It, it, but it does have to control its buoyancy because it is correct that its density is changing. So its neutrally buoyant point will shift somewhat. And so it may have to have some sort of active engagement um, in, in sort of, you know, some jets as well or something um, to determine what height it's at. Well, I also think fish have, you know, bladders and the Nautilus has different exactly, ways, different chambers. Yeah. So there's probably some yeah. system there. I'm sure that's yeah. what Ben is going to get to. I mean, well, yeah, there, it's trickier with air mm -hmm. because, you know, you're you're trying to float in air, which is what you would also theoretically fill your bladder with. Right. Um, <laughs> I, th I think I think what happens with the, the nope creature is one while it's sucking. I'm guessing it's blow the air has that air has to go somewhere. So I'm guessing it blows it kind of out the sides of its body to keep it balanced. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of staying buoyant. I'm my assumption is it's a hot air creature, right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 warm blooded. It's digesting things, and so if it has just eaten a human, it's going to have some extra energy for that uh, hot air buoyancy uh, biology, and so it's going to be able to inflate itself a little bit more to uh, to stay more buoyant. Well, my mom always called me a hot air creature, um, which I'm now taking as a compliment. Uh, so maybe I can terrorize this guy as well. Uh, but, you know, if you have a question, 
You can send it into us, questions at ftriplegbt.com, or mention, you know, on our YouTube page, you can put a comment there, and I'll find it and bring it onto the show. Or you can even send a show, question directly to us, or to get in touch with us in any way, uh, you can do it on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at ftriplegbtpod, on Facebook, at ftriplegbt, but you can also get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, um, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name, at Den and Michael. Um, and then on Facebook, stick in a prof. It's at Prof Den and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks, at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn. On Instagram, at the Daniel J. Glenn. And on Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and don't forget to subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell bent on world domination. Now you have this information and you're going to have a choice. Remember, we always tell you on the show, we advise you to make the right one. Always be a superhero, never be a supervillain. So until next time, Thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more thank you for listening